This is Outside In and I'm Charles Travail. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Amanda Hesser, who's the founder and CEO of Food52. Amanda, welcome to Outside In. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. For the listeners who don't know Food52, just tell us a little bit about the business and how you got it started and what it is today. Sure. We are a cooking and home company. We aim to be a comprehensive resource for people. So a place that you might come for inspiration, come for content, a recipe, a place to discover new products, a place to connect with other like-minded cooks or homebodies, as we like to call them, a place to ask questions, be entertained, you know, really to be this trusted resource for you in all aspects of your kitchen and home. And we started in my kitchen uh, in Brooklyn Heights in 2009. You know, we had this insight about what was really shifting culturally around Americans' relationship with food, that it was no longer this kind of like niche interest, but really becoming a core part of people's identities. People were really needing, you know, one place where they could get everything that they needed, as opposed to having to kind of hopscotch around the internet for shopping for placemats or finding a recipe or, you know, watching a cooking video. We felt like there was a real opportunity to use the internet and technology to bring people together in one place and to create a business that was really multifaceted and that also in in being multifaceted could be a much bigger business than if we were just a straight up media business or straight up commerce business. We started with content because we knew from our own experience, my co-founder and I both came from media we both understood very deeply that content has the power to really create a real emotional bond and loyalty and trust, which would allow us to really kind of expand in whatever directions we wanted to, as long as we had, you know, established this sense of trust. And we have methodically kind of built out, you know, we've expanded our content into travel and home and a bit of wellness. We have added a shop where we, at first, we just did drop ship of third-party vendor products. We have established our own product line. Now we're making many, many more products on our own. In recent years, in the past year and a half, we have acquired two companies where they are brands that we, we like to think of them as brands with soul. The two companies that we've acquired, Dansk and the other one is Schoolhouse, were both built, you know, without funding over many years, have incredible fan bases and real loyalty and really high quality products. And we feel like those are the kind of ingredients that make for really great companies and what we think will win in the future in in our space. Some people have done this from a, you know, some chefs have tried to do this sort of thing as well, have they? Do you think there were chefs who, who saw a similar trend Forgive me if I'm wrong, but, you know, in my country, the UK, there was a guy called Jamie Oliver who just arrived and sort of did did cooking for everybody. There was a sort of democratisation of, of cooking going on in the home at that point. Have I got that right? Absolutely. And I think he was absolutely a leader in that transformation. You know, we love Jamie. I've spent time with him when I was at The New York Times interviewing him. You know, the shift I was talking about, the shift that Americans were making from, see, you know, seeing food in a different way. Obviously, it was happening in the UK as well and other places. It was led in large part, I think, by, you know, food television. This was a shift that was happening over decades. But once food television happened, that just had a really big impact because it, it reached a much broader audience and made food accessible, interesting, exciting to just a, a much broader group of people. The beauty of food is that it's it's something that like, you know, cooking, it's like anyone can cook. 
and it's a creative outlet. It's a form of expression. And so it's, it's this thing that they kind of brought to life, you know, this part of our culture that had kind of been tamped down. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think few of them have combined quite in the way that you have food and home. So your, your focus I won't say it's moving away from food. It sounds like food's still obviously the core of your business, but you broadened out your concept into being a kind of home concept about dwelling. Have I got that right? Yes. Although I think that you're kind of tapping into what we were trying to really address, which we felt like there was this strange disconnect between food and cooking and your kitchen and the rest of your home and the rest of your lifestyle. There was this perceived notion that there was kind of a wall between these two things and that they actually weren't connected. Whereas in fact, the way (laughs) we saw matters and the way I think people are increasingly connecting the dots is that food connects to every aspect of your life. Like how you eat, very much impacts all aspects of your lifestyle. It's like how you live in your home, how you design your home, you know, where you shop for groceries, what you want to know about ingredients, where you travel, what you do on vacation, how you spend time with your friends. Food connects to all of those. And we feel like the power of our brand is to be that resource for people that helps support them in all of those aspects. So to us, what feels like a perceived expansion into home is really a natural progression of us connecting those dots for people because we see like our brand as, you know, for people who see food at the center of a, of a well-lived life, the way you design your kitchen is really no different from how you think about, you know, accessorizing your bathroom or, you know, designing your the entertaining space in your, you know, outside or your living room. These are all connected parts of, of, of how you want to, you know, what, what you find brings you comfort, what brings you joy, how you connect with others, you know, really just bluntly like how you live. If food is the centre of a well-lived life, is that a statement within the company? Is that your purpose statement or is that what your brand stands for? Have you got those things defined Yes. You know, that was very much a part of our, our mission statement. And I think we've, you know, slightly evolved that to helping people enjoy life's most important pleasures, you know, food, home, and connection to others. And then we, we believe that as a company grows and evolves, like you're, you know, it's important to kind of continually evolve how you, how you think and talk about what you're doing. One of the things that I think we get, we get kind of asked about a lot is it seems like you've changed X or It seems like you've shifted why, but if you look at the core of what we're doing, nothing has changed, but so much has changed in the world and how we communicate with people and how we create community and what kinds of products we are selling and what kind of content we produce and where we produce it. You know, when we started our company, Instagram didn't exist. That is one of our primary ways of communicating and entertaining and informing our community. TikTok obviously didn't exist. There's just a lot of things that when you're building a company, you have to be open to and totally flexible about. And like, you, you must hold on to your mission, but have a lot of, you know, flexibility and nimbleness around how you get there and what, what it might look like in the future. Cause when people say like, well, what is your, you know, what's your company going to look like in five years? I, the, the true answer is like, I don't know, because I don't know what other things we're going to be responding to. I know that I am going to be, we are going to be open to adapting. Did being a journalist help you in this, Amanda? Because, you know, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and people, business people who've got a sort of what I would call a MBA business school approach to how you run a business. And I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just interested that as a journalist, 
you've got this kind of adaptive sense about the business. And as you've said, I don't know what the business will look like in five years' time. I know what our mission will be. I know what will still be up for doing, but I don't know exactly how it's going to look. So I wondered whether the sort of spirit of journalism sits somewhere in the in the middle of the business still. Certainly in the early years, I used to say that, you know, I, I did feel like actually being a journalist was really good training for being any kind of entrepreneur because you're, you're trained in asking a lot of questions, finding the best people to talk to, to get the best answers in the, in the most efficient manner and working with basically no budget. <laughs> That's the core experience of being a journalist. And it's very much, you know, easily um, parallels with being an entrepreneur because those are the skills that really like help you survive and help you flourish and help you get what you need to get done. So I do think that has served me and Meryl very well. I also just think that as a journalist, people who are in journalism tend to be very curious about the world and want to get the, to the bottom of things. And I do think that that's something that, I think certainly helps helps me and you know perhaps helps the company in that like I'm I'm not afraid of what's next you know I want to I'm curious about it I want to understand it I want to be I want to and also when you're a journalist you want to be ahead of all your competitors I never wanted to do a follow-on story on something that a competitor had done I wanted to be writing the story first and having them follow us and so I feel the same way about our business and, you know, it's an interesting topic. Because I was just talking with our team yesterday about it because right now, social media algorithms actually reward copying. And, you know, like TikTok, there's a lot of, you know, it's like there's something becomes viral and then influencers copy, you know, they do their own iteration of it, but essentially kind of copying it. And there's a lot of pressure to do that because it performs better with the algorithm, but that doesn't feel great as a brand because you feel like you want to be, at least our, our brand, we want to be leading. We want to be doing original content, original ideas, putting things out there that people haven't thought about before. We've talked a little bit about the brand. Actually, you said that when we, just before we came on air, you talked about the brand having a kind of spiritual aspect to it as well, in the sense that You've talked about it having this connection to others. Is that is that what you meant by the spiritual aspect or is there more to it? Our company is built on a sensibility that is ideally you know, shared among our, our readers, our shoppers. We are a community-driven brand. It's interactive. There's depth to it and there's a relationship that we're looking to build. And to me, that is the value of our company, right? Like that is what builds the value but it's, it's not something tangible. <laughs> you know, you can, you can measure it in certain ways, like, right. Repeat visitors, repeat purchases, you know, there, there are ways to, to kind of measure how you're doing, but if you want to build a relationship with people, it's a long, <laughs> you're in it for the long game, right? No reader is going to trust you immediately. No shopper is going to like suddenly decide that they're only going to shop with you. This is something that I think we understood inherently that this was that relationship building took time and it had to be done thoughtfully and carefully and not rushed through, you know, other methods of growth, like something like a paid marketing approach or there are obviously a lot of ways to kind of goose growth in a company, but we felt like it was really important that we were building a brand that was genuine and that people were feeling that and responding to it, you know, by coming back to us, by telling their friends, et cetera. Yeah. We tend to think of this, Amanda, through sort of consumer jobs to be done. You're, you're doing a lot of jobs for consumers nowadays. You're engaging with them on food. You're, they're buying food-related, kitchen-related products from you. They're buying home-related products. So I completely understand in order to build that trust, 
it takes time. They're not going to trust you unless every interaction with them is a is a positive one, more more or less. So I spoke to a few people before this chat who know you well, who know your brand well. And a few of them were saying things like, yeah, I haven't bought anything yet. <laughs> and I, I don't know how, you, how the sales data is going when you look at they're doing one thing with you, but not another thing with you. Are people doing all of these jobs with you increasingly? Is that the aim that everybody does as many of these things with you as, as you can imagine? Well, obviously, that would be our goal because not just for business reasons, but because it, it, it would be a sign of success that we've really connected with people and that they see us as this comprehensive support. So, of course, that is what we're aiming to. But we also understand that, you know, there are some people who just like they only they're like cooking obsessed, but they really don't care where their cookware comes from. We want to serve them well, too. There are so many companies now that are very focused on like a very narrow kind of piece of the pie. And so what we are doing is it's, it kind of goes against what the current trends are in terms of like how to focus your business. We have a much more complex business, but I believe again, like the long game here, if we stay focused on what we're trying to do and stick with it, it's going to build a much, I think a uh, much bigger and, and a business that has bigger impact than if we were to really narrow on just selling cookware or just on content. Like, I, I really think that this is something that people need in the world. Yeah, we hear it. that There are people who like, they love looking at our products, but they don't convert. I will tell you that our commerce business is by far, it's the biggest portion of our, our revenue. So our commerce business is working, but we also know that there's an opportunity just among people who are already coming to the site to convert them and to get the build that trust or, or get, or give them the reason why they should be shopping with us as opposed to like browsing with us and maybe shopping elsewhere. You like have tapped into what we have identified <laughs> as like a key issue we need to address and figure out and understand. Do you think you can operate? And this is me with my interbrand hat on just for a moment. You've bought a couple of very nice brands. So you now have well, I guess you have three very strong brands. You may tell me you have others as well, but you have you certainly have three. Can you operate with three brands, do you think, Amanda, or will you need to consolidate them or do anything with them or have one lead? How, how are you thinking about that at the moment? They are quite different and different stages of their lives, right? Or their evolutions. Schoolhouse is a vertically integrated company. It's been around for 18, almost 19 years now. They have things you know, pretty dialed in there. It's a profitable company. They have great leadership. It's essentially kind of running as it was before. Food 52, we still have things to do to refine our commerce model. There's, there are things that we have to do internally, but we are at a, you know, a pretty nice scale. Dansk is tiny, you know, Dansk was like, kind of like we're, we're snapping up what had become a, had kind of shrunk to a pretty small company and it didn't even come with teams. So we are essentially kind of building it back up. They are three different business. There are three different kind of stages and maybe shapes at the moment. They all share this core, like really strong brand identity, you know, connection with his audience, great following, and essentially a commerce business where we're developing the products. And that's where Food 52 is shifting, by the way. Where we find efficiencies are on more on the back end, like things like finance, HR, like that is where we, and t technology, where we aim to, you know, essentially over time combine forces. No company will be more important than the other and then than another. It's really a portfolio of, of brands. I think, you know, one of the companies that we look up to that we think has um, done this nicely is, is Miller Knoll. 
which is Herman Miller and Knoll um, merged. And then they, they have a, a number of other brands in their portfolio. And they all have a very like kind of like shared DNA of like real intense focus on like great design in the furniture space. We are aiming to do that in like kind of cook across cooking and home. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. That's a good, good analogy. You put your journalist hat back on again for me, if you will, Amanda, or your curiosity. Where, what are you thinking about for the future? What are the trends that excite you? What might we see your group doing next? Well, I, I feel like there's a lot across the brand. So I'll, I'll give you one kind of for each each of them. So with Food 52, we have a new product line. It's in the pantry space. It's something we've been working on for about two years now. And I'm very excited because I think it'll really make that connection between our recipe content, our cooking content, and our shop. I hope we'll be appealing to a group of our existing you know, readers and community members who, again, to your question earlier, who may not be shopping for cookware and things, but like really are looking for the best quality ingredients to be cooking with. With Dansk, I think our strategy for reviving this brand is really fantastic because it's it has a lot of different aspects to it. It's, you know, we have a whole archive of designs from decades, literally thousands to, to basically choose from and sift through and, and revive. We're working with internationally known designers to create new dance designs. And we also have an existing product assortment that we can build on. So we launched the first revival product, which was a Coben style, um, which is the sort of the most popular design line or product line pitcher, which was something that was really popular in the 60s and hasn't been available for decades. And we brought that back. Every time we've released a new batch, it's sold out within 24 hours. So I'm really excited about um, what we can do with dance. It's a treasure. It's a gem. And then Schoolhouse, they are reopening their store in their Portland, Oregon factory this fall. And that will be kind of us getting them back into retail, which I'm real, I think is going to be great for them. They have a big trade business and it's just a chance for people to come and like really see all of like the quality of their of their products in person. All exciting stuff, Amanda. Last question for you. You are opening a new office, I believe, in the post-COVID yeah. world. So tell us, what does that look like? I mean, it must be an exciting place given yeah. given what you do. Well, our office has always been another connection point for us, actually, as a brand. You know, there's a huge pool of prop stylists, food stylists, influencers who we work with who pre-COVID were regularly coming into our, our studio and our office to work with us. But also like our brand partners come and visit, our shop partners do. And it's very much an expression of our brand. Like it was very home-like. It had a, you know, when people walked into our, our office, they always said, you know, I feel like I just stepped into your website. And that is the feeling we want people to have. And, you know, some, a place that we did a lot of entertaining but it was a place where, you know, we we all were all working all the time. And, and while we did have some remote team before COVID, obviously we have a much greater percentage now. So in looking to open a new office, we really are thinking of it as a gathering space for our team, a place to entertain, whether that's our community or our brand partners, our shop partners, you know, investors, et cetera and then a, a creative space. And so we've really enlarged our test kitchens and our photo studios, our video studios. We have, we'll have a podcast studio in it. And so it's really meant to be a place where like you gather, you create, you connect. And I think that's very, um, what I think will become a model for you know many companies where you're not needing the space really just for desks. 
you're really needing it as a, as a gathering place that reflects your brand and who you are and, and gives you a really like important place to, you know, connect with each other in person. Great. And where is that? We will be at Dock 72 in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So it's, you know, it's an amazing space where we're literally surrounded by a working shipyard. And the Brooklyn Navy Yard is also known for having really uh, nurtured a lot of creative businesses. So there's like uh, film studios, there's fashion designers. It's a, it's a place with a lot of kind of big open spaces that um, we're just really happy to be part of. I know it well. I'd love to come see you sometime down there. It all sounds fascinating. Oh, please uh, what do. What you're building. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on building such a wonderful business. Relationship first, kind of customer by customer or reader by reader, however you describe your the people <laughs> you interact with. Uh, and I'll, I'll look to um, always see what you're up to. You're always doing something new and creative. So uh, really exciting for you and your team. Thank you so much for joining Outside In. Thank you so much for having me. Outside In is hosted by Charles Travail, Executive Chairman of the Interbrand Group, which includes Interbrand, the world's leading brand consultancy, and C-Space, a global customer agency. Outside In is produced by Daniel Sills. If you like what you hear, share this episode with a friend or colleague, or leave us a review wherever you listen to Outside In. 